preachers in our church, and we'll rejoice in that. Tonight, our special speaker is Phyllis Cantrell, and we're so happy to have her. And I know the Lord's given her a message for the hour and for this time, and we're here ready to receive it. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for asking me to come back. There's nothing like um, preaching the Word of God. What about that choir? You would think there's more than five or six up there. And they're worshipers. They're worshiping from their heart. We don't even know what's going on in their life. They've got stuff going on in their life. And they're still up there worshiping as if nothing's going on. Gosh. Guess what the topic of my message is tonight? Worship. I've spent the whole day in the presence of God. So I know tonight, and it's not that, it's, it's the Lord has drawn me in today. And my kids came tonight, Katie and Mike, and they came from Ormond just to come. And, and poor Judah's got to sit in here. He'd rather be playing with the kids. <laughs> and they surprised me and pulled in the driveway. And, and I was just putting a CD in to worship. And uh, just perfect timing. But before I go any further, let me say a prayer. Father, I just thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are good and your mercy endures forever. I thank you, Father, that when there's so much going on in the world, God, where we almost don't even want to put the news on because we, we almost dread what we might hear next, God, that we know that you are still in control. And when there is evil, there's still good. So I thank you, Lord. In the midst of evil, there is good. And I thank you, Lord, in the midst of chaos, you're there bringing peace. So we just thank you and praise you, God, for that, for the comfort and knowing, Lord, that you are still in control. And I pray, Lord, tonight that Everything that's said and done, Lord, will be as how you want it to be. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just move and have your way tonight. I give you all the praise and the honor and the glory ahead of time for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I knew instantly what, um, when I got an email from Amanda asking me what day I wanted to speak on, and October was Women's Month again, and and um, I knew instantly what God wanted me to speak on, and I've entitled this Face to Face, and before I go any further, I want to ask some questions, and these questions, I just want you to think about what I'm asking you, because these questions will kind of give you an insight as to where you are with your relationship with the Lord. And the first one is, what would you do to meet with God? Would you rearrange your schedule? Would you get up earlier? Would you stay up later? Would you fast a lunch to meet with God? How often do you meet with God? Is it only in a crisis? Tuesday morning prayer, Patsy? Sunday morning service or Sunday morning prayer? How do we meet every day? Where do you meet with him? church, car, prayer closet, or is he on your mind all the time? Are you constantly praying? 
How often do you read your Bible? <laughs> How often do you read your Bible? Do you know that there is so many amazing stories in here? There was I was reading in in Chronicles and I was reading I was reading in Exodus and I was reading all over the place preparing. I was all over my Bible. And there was a passage in Exodus that I was reading, and I thought, gosh, I didn't know that was in there. I don't know how many times I've read Exodus, and it was like, gosh, I didn't know that was in there. And I'll tell you about it later. Here's an important one. Does God call you his friend? Can he call you his friend? Now, these are all good questions, and if you were to answer them honestly, it would give you an honest assessment of your personal relationship with God. Now, I want to talk about Moses, and I'm going to interject some other uh, Bible people in there, too. But I'm not going to talk about Moses as a baby and how his mom said he was such a special boy that she had to hide him because they were killing all the boys. And she pitched a a little uh, boat for him and put him on the Nile, and the Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him in and raised him. I'm not going to talk about that. I I would love to talk about the plagues and Moses and, and the staff and the parting of the Red Sea and the miraculous deliverance that God had done through Moses. And here's the passage I was talking about, where Moses and 73 of his closest companions saw the God of Israel. Saw. And under his feet was something like a pavement of lapis lazuli. What is lapis lazuli? I feel like I'm speaking in tongues. Never heard it before. But one thing I do know the Bible says was it's bright as the blue sky. Beautiful. Probably pure. What an amazingly holy moment. But that isn't the topic of tonight either. I want to talk to you about the tabernacle that Moses built. (laughs) And I know when you get into Exodus and you get into Leviticus and you get into Numbers, there's passages that you come to this point, and then it's like you flip the pages till you get to something where you understand it. Do you do that? Because I do that. It's like, well, that doesn't pertain to me now. And I don't understand it anyway. So you skip right over it. But all those things that we skip right over and think that doesn't pertain to us now, they all point to Jesus, and they really do, if we take the time to read and study. So I want to talk about the tabernacle. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar, never went to Bible school, so I'm just going to give it to you rough and plain. I'm going to give it to you Philistine is what I'm going to do. Now, after Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, he told the people everything the Lord had said, and they said they'd do everything that God had told them. Now, after that, I don't want to focus on this either, where he comes down and Moses, or Aaron, had taken the gold and everything, because Moses had been gone for 40 days and 40 nights, and the people were getting restless, and he said, take everything, all your gold off, and he formed a calf. But when he told Moses, he said, oh, we threw it in it. Out came this calf. But what I will say is that the Israelites 
uh, cows were almost a worshiping point for them. So it doesn't really surprise me that as Moses is getting up and getting a new order of things for them, that they will instantly want to go back and worship what they've left. We have a tendency to do that, to go back to the old ways and the old habits of doing things because it feels really comfortable. And because they didn't know what Moses was doing and where he'd left and where he was going and when he'd be back, well, we'll just go back to the old way of doing things, kind of like Peter. I'm just going to go fishing. Go back to the old things. But while he was up on the, the mountaintop, and God gave him clear instructions. He gave him the Ten Commandments. But he gave him so many more instructions on how to build this tabernacle. God had told him he had to use certain wood, which would be acacia wood. He had to build an ark. And there had to be a, ta- a table. And there had to be a lampstand. And there had to be oil. And there had to be all these curtains. And there had to be five on this side and five on that side. And it had to have blue on the bottom. And it had to have ringlets. And it had to have clasps. And some of them, over, over the Ark of the Covenant, I believe, it had to have a curtain made of goat's hair. It was very, very specific how God wanted everything done. And then it was very specific on the dress of the priest and, and the anointing of the priest. And everything had to be done exactly the way God wanted it done. Very interesting to me. Because God, and he wrote down everything, and the Lord told him, you write down everything. And if you go into Exodus, you're going to read everything that Moses wrote down, and it's mind-boggling, that every little detail. And God said, even I have set this man aside, and I'm going to anoint him, so that he can make everything. I'm going to anoint him for wood and, and gold so that he can sculpt it and carve it and do everything exactly the way I want it. It had to be precise. Now, before the tabernacle, Moses pitched a tent outside of town, outside of where they lived. And wherever they went, they had to hike it up and take it with them. And it was called the Tent of Meeting. Whenever anyone inquired of the Lord, that is where they'd go. Whenever Moses went into the tent, get this, all the people rose, and they stood at the entrance of their tent, watching until Moses entered the tent. As soon as Moses went in, a pillar of cloud came down and stayed at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. When the people saw the cloud, they would worship at their own tent. And they would do that until the cloud moved. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to his friend. But this is the thing that gets to me. Joshua, his young aide, did not leave the tent. Exodus 33, 11. Your mama didn't come, Leanne. <laughs> That's okay. Okay. I'm glad you're here. Tell her I missed her. Do you ever wonder if God wants to speak to you face to face? Do you realize what a holy moment, 
are moments Moses experienced to be face-to-face with the one true God, the creator of the universe, and Joshua was in there with him. Could you imagine Joshua maybe didn't even see him face-to-face, but he could feel his presence. He could feel the spectacular. He could feel the, the hand of Almighty God in there talking to Moses. I don't know if he could even discern it because sometimes it said God's voice was like a rolling thunder and it scared the people. And Joshua stayed in there and encountered that along with Moses. What an awesome experience. Who would want to leave that? Who would want to leave the very presence of God? There's something when you come into the presence of God that draws you in. And there's times here... Pastor and Carolyn, on Sunday mornings when the presence of God will come down like a blanket, and after some people have left because they're not in tune or they're in too much of a hurry to go out, and if you have to, that's fine. But those that that stay behind and stay at the altar, wow, they get something more. That's usually when more miracles happen. And when the presence of God comes down like that, nobody wants to leave. Everybody wants to fellowship and love on one another. God wants to have an intimate relationship with you and me, just like he did with Moses. But I'm sure many of us in here would say, but I'm not good enough and I'm not as holy as Moses was. No, you're not Moses. I'm not Moses. And he wasn't as holy as you think he was. He was just a plain, ordinary person just like you and me. He also had a murder rap sheet, killed somebody, and he had trouble with anger. So much so that he couldn't even go into the promised land. He had to deal with that anger. God said, you didn't uphold me as holy in front of the people, and because of that, you will not enter into the promised land. Moses had some issues, but you know what the biggest issue was? He was willing to be used by God. That was one of the biggest issues Moses had. He was willing to be used by God. And he didn't even know how he was going to be used by God. And he even argued with God. There's some things God just don't let you get out of. Just some things he will not let you get out of. Now I want to go back to Joshua real quick. When I read that Joshua stayed in the tent, when I read that, that did something inside of me. It ought to make your spirit leap. When I read that, it made my spirit leap. It's like, wow, I want to be that hungry for the presence of God. He wasn't even speaking with God. He just wanted to be in the very tent where the presence of God was. That does something to me. I want to be in his presence. And I'll just tell you, this afternoon, as I was writing all this, and I was having trouble with my computer, and it wouldn't print, and I had to do this, and I had to do that, and finally I got it to print, and I sat down. I don't know what you do, Pastor. You're probably well-seasoned and everything else. But I sat down and read it out loud. I read it out loud. It was like I was preaching to myself. And I'm sitting in my living room preaching to myself, and it was bringing tears to my eyes because I thought, God, how holy you are. How awesome you are. Can we desire you as much as Moses and Joshua desired you? Let nothing come in between us when you want to meet with us face to face. I 
I want to be that hungry for the presence of God that when church service is over, I can't leave. Because God's presence is so evident, strong, and full that I'm compelled to stay and drink more of him. And I know I've said this before, but the night I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was a Sunday night service, and I sat one Sunday night in the front pew, and service was over, but God wasn't over. Everybody had left, but I sat, and I couldn't move. It was like I was super glued to the seat. It was just me. Everybody else had left. My parents had left. And a little old man named Lee Kramer, he walked over. He knew exactly. And I'm sitting in the pew, just sitting there worshiping God, wanting more of God. And he came over, and all he said is, are you ready? And I said, I'm ready. And he put his hand on top of my head. And it was like God took a plunger and plunged. And I just started speaking in tongue. And I couldn't stop. I kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. And I kept speaking in tongue. And my parents had went to my grandma's house. And she always played cards afterwards, kings on the corner. (laughs) Always had food and cookies. And I had to drive around for an hour. Because my grandma, even though she believed in the Lord, she didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, I can't go in her house like this. I will completely freak her out. So I drove around in my little Pontiac T-1000 for a half hour, 45 minutes until I felt released. That's what happens when you stay in the presence of God and when you're not in a hurry to get out of the presence of God. God begins to do things in your life. He begins to fill you with more of him. If you desire more of him and you want more of him, he's going to give you more of him. Nothing less, but he will give you more. How hungry are you for the presence of God tonight? How hungry are you? For James Jordan, you are hungry. You are hungry. Are you ready for a move of God? Or have you become dulled to the presence of God and and his action in your life? A cloud was over the tent of meeting during the day and a fire by night. And when the cloud stayed over the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting, the Israelites didn't move. When the cloud moved, the people moved. And like I said earlier, it was no easy feat. When I want to go someplace, I go up and get my suitcase, put a a few clothes in it, grab it, go to my car, and I'll leave. I'll go visit somebody. Getting on an airplane. Not for them. They had to pitch. They had to get the tent of meeting. They had to get everything out of it. They had to get all their belongings. They had to get their food. They had to get all their tents. It was not an easy task. And you never knew when the cloud was going to move. You never know when God's going to move in your life. But all I can say is you had better be ready when God's going to move in your life. And you better be watching for his action. You better be ready for the move of God in your life. Because all they had, they watched the cloud. It could be one day, it could be a week, it could be a month, it could be a year. They had no idea. And they'd be on the move again. And they'd get all down, they'd get all planted, they'd set the tent of meeting up, they'd get the altar set, they'd begin to worship, and maybe three or four days later the cloud would move and they'd say, wow, we just got settled. (laughs) Don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Repent and awaken to your slumbering spirit. It's easy to become complacent in our walk with God. It's easy to come to church Sunday after Sunday because a lot of us seasoned Christians hear the word so much we 
have it on TV. We have it on our, our cassette, our DVD, our um, CD, and you hear it from the pastor. Be careful that we do not become desensitized to the Word of God. I want to give you a couple more examples. I want to talk about Solomon in Chronicles 3. God told Solomon he wanted him to build a temple too. But Solomon did it exactly the way God asked him to. When he did, and when he dedicated it and he prayed, fire came down and consumed the offering. Fire came down. And in my Bible it said it looked like tongues of fire, clothes of fire came down, just like on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down and accepted the people in their praises and filled them. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah confronts the 450 prophets of Baal, and he has them build an altar and put a sacrifice on it. And he does the same thing. Then he... And Elijah does the same thing. Then he tells them, the God who answers by fire is the true God. They call on their God all day long, and they cry, and they weep, and they get to the point where they think, you know, we need to shed more blood, and they start cutting themselves and crying and weeping. And Elijah's along the side taunting them. Where's your God? Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's falling asleep. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he had to go to the bathroom. I don't know. But where's your God? Moses or Elijah knew. When they finally quit, Elijah has his already. But God tells him to go one step further. So not only that, Elijah, he says, I want you to dig a trench. So he dug a trench. Some things doing some things God asks you to do, it takes a little labor. It takes a little sweat. It takes a little time. Not everything's going to be easy that God asks you to do. And so Elijah did it, and he built the trench, and the sacrifice was there. And then God says, go get water, and I want you to pour it on the sacrifice. So he went and he got water, and he poured it on and said, go do it again. And he went and he poured it on. And he said, do it again. And he went and he poured more water on, so much so that the water ran down, and it filled up the trench. God, Elijah prayed, and God came down in fire, so much so the fire came down, and it took the sacrifice, and it licked up all the water all around the trench. That's our kind of God. But I want to say something. When Moses and Solomon and Elijah built the altar, you know what they were doing? They were worshiping. It might appear to us as if they were working and they were laboring, but they were worshiping God. As they did that. My friend, do you hear what the Lord is saying? Open your spiritual ears to hear the voice of the Lord. Listen very carefully. Something happens when you do things in God's way and how he instructs you to do it. God is not a halfway God. And if God isn't doing what you've asked him to do, go back and make sure you finish the last thing he's asked you to do. Not half-heartedly. Never, ever, ever shall we ever do anything half-heartedly for God because he never gave anything half-heartedly to us. He gave us his all when he, when he put himself on the cross. 
Those men didn't put him there. He willingly laid down his life, and he gave his life completely, completely to you and to me. And he's never done anything halfway. Ever. I want to go one step further. We are God's temple. We are God's temple. Are we allowing him to build in us his image? Or are we building our own temple with our own tools, our own efforts and design? That's a heavy question. Are you doing life your way? Or are you doing life God's way? Because I'm here to testify until you do it God's way, you will be miserable. You will be utterly miserable. And you will see everything out of the wrong looking glass until you submit to God and do it His way. Everything Moses did pointed to redemption and habitation and fellowship. God was pointing through Moses to the day Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate priest, pastor. And could live in a living tabernacle by his Holy Spirit. And you and I are that tabernacle. Let God inhabit your dreams. Let God inhabit your desires. Your thoughts. Your hurts. Your pains your sickness, your confusion, your anger, and your unforgiveness. In order to worship him, you've got to give God your whole tabernacle. We just thought we lived in a fleshly body. But God sees this more than a fleshly body. God sees us as his tabernacle that he can indwell and live in and live through. You've got to give him the good and the bad. Now, in order to illustrate this a little further, there are times my house needs painting on the inside. Now, I like to paint. And usually about every two to three years, I will go through, and I live in almost a 3,000-square-foot house, and I will go through and repaint. And I just went through that phase. Went through and just almost repainted everything. My upstairs, my hallway, pool table room, all kinds of stuff. When I paint, everything has to come down off the walls. The little electro, electrical outlet things, have the covers have to come off. The curtains come down. you got to get everything out. you got to really prepare. One thing I don't do is I don't put tape on anything. I paint freehand. And I probably most of the time walk away with maybe one or two drops of paint on me. That's how much I like to paint. I've been doing it since I was eight years old. The first place I ever painted, my neighbor was painting his garage. I said, let me help you. And he seen I did a good job at eight years old. He said, I'll pay you $50 if you paint my whole garage. I thought I struck it rich. He got off easy. <laughs> I didn't know. I just loved doing it. 
when I'm all done, some things have to go back on the walls. And then there's some things that just don't fit there anymore. I don't want them there, and I'm going for a different look. Now, this is good for me, but it's bad for John. Because I make trips to Kirkland's and Bell's Outlet and Ross and Home Goods. Now, I want you to know, I am fasting Kohl's. I'm not going into Kohl's. Kohl's is a trap. It is a money trap. And lo and behold, about a year ago, Phil said, Phil Smith, you cannot stay out of Kohl's. You're addicted to Kohl's. Never say I can't do anything. Never say I can't do anything. I said, you want to bet? He said, I'll bet you 50 bucks. And Debbie was there, so I brought her into this. I said, okay, Debbie and I, are, we're going to fast Kohl's. And she's looking at me like, what kind of mess did you get me into? So we pinky sweared on it. I just want to interject this. Last year, we picked up our kids in Miami, and Pastor let us use the van. And we had to stop at Kohl's for something. John's dad needed something. And John's like, could you help me go in and pick something out? Now, I had just gave my word to Phil that I was fasting Kohl's, and I wasn't going in. So I told John, I said, you are on your own, buddy. You go in. I said, but go to the clearance. Did he listen to me? No. He didn't go to the clearance. He came out, and I said, well, how much did you spend? He said, I spent 80 or or $100. I said, what did you buy? And he said, well, I got a pair of um, sweatpants, a shirt, and some underwear. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, well, some of that you're going to have to take back. But I sat in the van, and he was on his own, and he went and did it. Because I'm getting that $50. Leanne, you can tell Phil that. Now, what I do to my house is kind of like what God wants to do with our tabernacle. It's freshly painted. He comes in, we're clean, we're fresh, we're new. A new coat of paint. There's nothing like a new coat of paint in the house. Paint and the trim. Everything looks so new and clean, fresh. God wants to clean you and decorate your tabernacle. Now listen to this. God gave me this. He wants to decorate you with his walls of character. His floor coverings of grace. You know how rugs kind of cover little things in the floor that don't look right? Grace sure can cover a lot of bad. His pictures of encouraging thoughts he wants to hang on the walls. He wants to light many candles of truth in our tabernacle. He wants us filled up with the truth, friends. And he wants us to be a light to the world. He has delicate glass bases of unforgiveness that he wants to pour out on us. And he wants us to extend to others. He has green plants of kindness. And he wants to cover you with warm blankets of love. And he wants to surround you with the aroma of peace in your atmosphere. Your tabernacle. Can you just sit and drink the hand? To allow the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, to come in and create something beautiful? out of this old earthly temple? I can tell you, 
You will show his glory when you do it his way. Jesus wants to infiltrate our hearts to become a mirror of his reflection to everyone around us. When Moses would meet with God and talk to him face to face, something happened to Moses. When he came down, he was so radiant with the glory of God that people couldn't even stand to look on him. They needed to go get their sunglasses and put it on, but because they didn't have sunglasses back then, I don't think so anyway. They're like, Moses, you got to do something. We, we can't look at you. So he put a veil over his face. To me, that represents the law. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two. Behold, old things have passed away. I have made all things new. Moses had the veil. God was doing a new thing even back then, and they didn't comprehend it. After meeting with God, Moses would go to the people and tell them what God said. And there are times in our life when people don't want to be around us because we radiate the glory of God. And it convicts them of their own unrighteousness and sinfulness. You know there's just times, I know there's been times when you just know you've been around somebody that is a Christian. They don't even have to open their mouth, but you know it. You feel it. You sense it. It's like you see God on that person. You just see God. I had somebody tell me that one time. And it was, John was procrastinating and proposing to me. He was a little slow. I heard God a lot sooner than he did. And we went to our little mall in our little town in Sterling, Illinois. And, and um, who was there, John? Ernie Banks, baseball player, Cubs. And he was there in the Sears little department store, and he was signing autographs. And John's like, we got to go see Ernie Banks. And we walked in there, and, and we were three or four in line or whatever, and we got up there, and Ernie Banks looked up, and, and he asked if we were married, and John's like, no. And he's like, well, what are you waiting for? And John's like, well, i got to get a little more money. And he said, you'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough money. And he turned, and he looked at me, and this man was a Christian. And he looked at me, and he said, I see the glory of God all over you. That was the best compliment I ever had in my life. When somebody could look at you and say, I see God all over you. He didn't know I was a Christian. That's the best compliment anybody could ever pay you. Is that you got the glory of God all over you. There are times in our life when people don't want to be around us. But what they wanted Moses to share, they wanted Moses to share what God said. But listen to this. But they didn't want to see the glory. They wanted to be close, but only at a distance. What they were saying was, Moses, you get close and intimate, but we want to keep God at a distance. And that's exactly what they did. They want to keep God close enough to serve their own purposes. We do the same thing. We do the same thing with our pastors and our church leaders. We want to be close to God through them and let them do all the work seeking God. But God doesn't want 
a long-distance relationship. There are people that come in, and the only time they hear the word is through pastor or through somebody else, but they won't take the time to seek God face-to-face on their own to see what God has to say to them personally. I can tell you, if you are that kind of person, you are missing out. And it's good we come to church, and it's good that pastor has a message. But God has more messages than just on Sunday and Wednesday. And he wants to speak to you every single day of the week. Do you not realize he, whether it's just like, I love you. You just want to say, Billy, I know you are tired and worn out. But I just want you to know I'm pleased with you. And you are the apple in my eye. An encouraging word by God himself in your prayer closet. He wants to be intimate with us just like Moses, pastor, and our church leaders. Do not shortchange yourself and expect pastor to give you his glory that he gets in his one-on-one time with the Lord because it ain't going to happen. You will see it on him but you won't fully experience it until you get one-on-one with God yourself and you come to the altar and you seek God yourself. It's like salvation. I want my whole family to be saved, but I can't make them get saved. How sad that it is possible to know, to know God, but never truly experience God if we want intimate intimacy with God, we must nurture a grateful heart that glorifies Jesus. Now I want to jump ahead in closing. In the New Testament, I've I've been reading this book, Heaven and Mary Hart and the Martha World. Has anybody ever read that? I I just want to say something. Over the last three years, Everything I'm speaking to you is something I've just been through. Over the last three years, I've allowed myself, I heard the word so much and came to church so much, and people would say things to me like, God is good and this or that. But there was a part of me that I heard it so much that I almost came to the point where it was like, yeah, really? Really? Because I really don't feel it. And I really don't know it. And there was a part of me, the whole part of me, where I'd still spend time with God. But there was a part of me that I kept him at a distance and only allowed him to get as close as I wanted him to be to me. You know you have that choice. And usually when something devastating happens, it kind of jars you and it wakes you up. And this thing with John's dad... We didn't see that coming. We did not see that coming. You know, most of the things you fear never really happen. And the things that really come upon you, you never expect. And first, I'm not even going to go into the whole thing, but for some of you that don't know, my father-in-law, John Stagg, passed away in July. He had left a a lockdown dementia place. And he had got out and had been missing. It was during those 18 days 
God started doing something in me. I started getting on my face like I never did for a long, long, long time. Started crying out to God, and I'd take walks on the ocean. John would be out looking, and I don't even know how, how he did it all. How he could look for his dad, and then come back here and work two or three days. And then get tips and jump in his truck, and go on back down and look for his dad. Only by God's grace and strength. Only by the mercy of God. And the grace of God were we able to get through one of the most difficult times of our life. But there was a new birth. A seed never falls to the ground and dies without giving life. And God started to awaken my heart again and my spirit again and my soul again. He started to awake a hunger in me. So even though something terrible and tragic happened, something good was about to, God was awakening something in me that I'd been missing. I'd been craving it and wanting it, but didn't know how to do it. And it took a tragedy. And it took me getting on my face and saying, God, have your way in me. I'm not even going to tell you how to do it. Because we do that, don't we? We love to instruct God on how he can be God and how he can do things and move in our life. And he sits there and he listens to us and he says, yeah, that's okay. But it's not going to happen that way. And I'm not even going to tell you, but you're going to figure it out. (laughs) Isn't that true, Pastor? Anyway, I wasn't even going to say that. This book is the first book. Now, I read a lot of Christian books. Now, I used to read books like this all the time because I craved them. I have not picked up a book like Christian fiction I love to read. I don't read anything not Christian. Never. But the Lord drew me to this book. And I picked it up. And I was so drawn to it. I was so hungry. I was so thirsty. And I thought, it's been a long time since I picked up a book like this. And it started awakening things in me. You know, when you're hungry, you go eat because you're hungry. When you're a Christian, you don't realize how thirsty you are until you start drinking in the Word of God. You don't realize how thirsty you are. You don't realize how much you've missed the word. Not that I didn't read the word. But these these books, the word is important. But books like these bring the word alive, too, and they add so much. They add a lot to it. Another dimension when somebody else has walked through what you're going through. I started reading this book. I was like, gosh, I didn't know I was that thirsty. I didn't know. I missed it so much. I came to the point in this book. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here that I could have said tonight, but I'm just saying exactly what the Holy Spirit wants me to say. But I do want to read this in closing. 
Before I read this, though, there's someone in here. Someone, someone, maybe, many people, maybe, I don't know. That feel as if I keep falling. And you might be thinking, Lord, I'm just not good enough for you. John and I have a movie called Extravagant Love. It's a modern day story that talks about Prophet Hosea. And let me just say, God will go to great lengths to buy you back, to get you back. Hosea married a prostitute, had kids, and then she went off and wandered again and started prostituting herself again and selling herself off. It got so bad for her, she was finally on the, the, the auction block. And men were coming around and salivating and looking at her and, and saying, how much for her? I'll give you two bits. She ain't worth more than that. Of course, she probably didn't feel it. But out in the distance, Hosea heard what was going on. And he traveled the road, and I don't know how long it took him. It might have taken him a day. It might have taken him three hours, four hours, five hours. But his goal was to get to Gomer and say, I don't care what it costs me. I will give you my life savings because I want to buy Gomer back to me. She belongs to me, and I don't care what she's done. I will give you every single penny I own to buy back my wife, the one that God's given to me. And God has sold his life and put his son on the cross to buy you back and to give you worth and to redeem you. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've gone. God says you are valuable still. 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 Now, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. This is the crutch of worship right here. Jesus went to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house the first time. And there was a lot of feasts going on that week. And for him to come in the house and have people, it meant extra work for Martha. So Martha was in a frenzy. You know, she had to make the hors d'oeuvres and she had to make the punch. She had to make sure she had the right chocolate fudge ice dessert and, you know, all the good stuff. The pomegranates and the apples, they had to be sliced, you know, and the watermelon kind of had to look like, I don't know, something, a heart. We get that way. And Martha comes out and she said, Jesus, don't you see I'm working hard here? And Mary's at his feet. And she's kind of hoping Jesus will have sympathy on her and say, yeah, 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 come on, Mary. We've had a few minutes. Why don't you go in and help your sister? She were off. Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. <laughs> he worried about so many things. But Mary has chosen 
the better thing sitting at my feet. And it won't be taken from her. A lot of things you'll forget about in your life that you're so wrapped up in and I'm so wrapped up in because we think it's so important. But the time you spend with the Lord is invaluable. And everything you glean at his feet will produce fruit in your life. So a little further on, it's the week he's supposed to be crucified. He is going to be crucified. And he's at their house again. And Mary loves him so much. There's no one like her, Jesus. She said, I really want to do something for him. I want to do something special for him. And I know she walks in her bedroom or wherever she's sleeping, and she goes in, and there's this bottle of nard, and it sounds kind of like lard to me. I see it like Crisco. Every time I see nard, lard, Crisco, that must be nasty stuff. But this bottle of nard is expensive perfume. And it's made from the, it's extracted, it's the oil from a plant from India. And this bottle of perfume is Mary's life savings. Everything she owns, every penny. In today's terms, that bottle of perfume, you would not find it in Saks Fifth Avenue. Any place like that. Because this bottle of perfume was like $30,000. It's everything she owned. And Jesus is there, and she goes in and she gets it. And people are looking at her as she's walking up, and she's carrying this perfume. And she sits down at Jesus' feet, and she said, I just want to do something for him. I just love him so much. And she has this bottle. It's never been opened. And she breaks it open, and she begins to pour it on his feet. And, of course, you're going to have your critics, and Judas is there. It's like, what in the world is she doing? Does she realize how much that's worth? Of course, he was the thief. He would think that. You all know that. He wanted to pocket some of the money. And she pours it on his feet. And as I was reading it today, I thought, oh, my gosh. He said it went into the floor. Do you not realize that after Jesus left, the memory of him kept reminding Mary of the extravagant love that she poured on Jesus' feet because the house had to smell of that most expensive perfume? Mary gave everything she had and poured it. And then not only that, as she's sitting there, her hair's up because a woman's hair is the glory, is her glory back then. And it wasn't down, never, only for her husband. And as you know, she wasn't married. And I believe in that moment, Mary, as she was pouring that oil on Jesus' feet, I believe she was marrying herself to Jesus and saying, you are my one and only. You are my heart's desire. And then, enough gall to break it and then waste all that money. They're looking at her, and she's taking her hair out, and she's down there, and she's crying, and she's weeping, and she takes her hair, and she's wiping his feet. Talk about worship. Worship. Giving her all. She didn't care what anybody thought about her at that moment. She was worshiping her Lord 
and was pouring her heart out to her Lord. When is the last time you've poured your heart out to the Lord? And just said, I don't care whatever you want to do in my life, just do it. Have your way, Lord. Redecorate me. I don't care. I don't care. If you want to cut my hair, I don't care. Whatever you see fit. But please don't take my makeup away. <laughs> makeup covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> In closing tonight, Rich, did, were you able to get it? Okay. If you would like to, to play, I've, I've got a CD. Actually, um, Phillips, Craig, and Dean, coming back to the heart of worship. Has anybody ever heard Phillips, Craig, and Dean? I was <laughs> looking on my phone because I thought I'd play it. And it was about the time my kids pulled into the driveway. And that CD just came to my mind, and I thought, I know I have a CD, Lord, but I don't know if it's the songs I want. And I looked by my TV, and I had a whole stack of CDs, and I pulled it out. And I didn't, I didn't have the case. And I popped it in. And the first song was, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And let the worshipers arise. And let my words be few. Those three songs, it was like, God, you knew exactly. If you want to worship the Lord, and you want to pour your heart out, or if you just want to come up and say, Lord, I love you, these altars are open. Go ahead, Rich. Did we lose it? There's nothing like anointed worship. I don't know if you know that song, I Want to Come Back to the Heart of Worship, that Phillips, Craig, and Dean sang. And it was bred out of wanting to come back to the heart of worship, and that's just getting into God's presence without music, without nothing. And that's what this song was bred out of, pure worship. The altars are open if you want to come up. Let the Lord minister to you.
Jesus. Let's put him back where he needs to be in our life in the first place. Have your way, Lord. 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 As you wait in the Lord's presence, as you take time and wait on him, he's going to minister to you and he's going to speak to you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to bless you. He will speak to you tenderly. There are things that God's spoken to you that you think will never happen. And God says they're on their way. They're on their way. They're on their way. He's heard you and he's answered your prayer. Thank you. Hallelujah. 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 Sikoro lokumbata kahasia tata, shekopa kahasia tata. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that your mercy endures forever. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you delight in the praises of your people. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, oh God. But you're faithful and loving and kind and just. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you want to do immeasurably more inside of us than we could ask, think, or imagine. That God has more plans for your life than you've planned yourself. That God has more for you than you've planned yourself. Hallelujah. 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 Trust him. 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 Trust